I'm continuing the 2010 candidate series today by talking to Deborah Honeycutt. Uh, Deborah is running in the July 20th Republican primary for the 13th Congressional District and the right to face off against Congressman David Scott in November. Uh, Ms. Honeycutt was also the Republican nominee for this seat in 2006 and in 2008. Uh, Deborah, thank you very much for taking time out of your Saturday to join me. Thank you. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. People may not be familiar with who you are, considering this is a specific race to the 13th Congressional District. So familiarize yourself, please. Okay. Well, uh, by uh, education and training, I'm a family physician. I'm also uh, a mom, a wife, and a small business owner. Uh, I am uh, currently the medical director for Clayton State University's Health Services, where I see staff and uh as well as faculty, as well as students, in a mini family practice style practice. Well, on your website, you call yourself an independent Frederick Douglass Republican. Uh, explain that. Well, I am certainly glad that you asked. As a Repu- I'm a Republican because of the values and principles that the Republican Party represents. I am a Republican in the same way that Frederick Douglass was. As you know, Frederick Douglass was a slave. Uh, He actually bought his freedom. Interestingly enough, it was a number of people who gathered together some um, monies for him to buy his freedom, and they happened to have been Republicans. But at a time uh, when it may not be popular to uh, be a Republican, he was a Republican. He uh, was staunch in his beliefs. He was an abolitionist. Um, he was also uh, a, a number of other things, but those are the, the paths down which I follow uh, with regards to uh, Frederick Douglass. On principle, sticking to principle, a very ethical person, and uh, those are the, his qualities that I admire and that make me a Frederick Douglass Republican. You're running in an overwhelmingly Democratic district, and oddly enough, you're locked in a primary with three other Republicans. What shot do you think you have, if nominated, at beating David Scott? Well, uh, certainly I'll win the, the, the primary. And actually, your information is, might be a little bit dated. There are actually a total of six, including me. And it seems that now that people have have heard this will be a good year for conservatives. They just come out of the woodwork. (laughs) But uh, it's interesting that as you talk about the the demographics of the district, we see across the district people who are saying, wait a minute, I'm not getting what I thought I was getting when I voted in uh, 08. My situation, I looked at my congressman, uh, he's doing much better but I'm doing much poorer. Uh, He's voting for lots of money to go to big companies and whatnot, but nothing has happened to improve my life here where I live on Main Street in Jonesboro or or Riverdale. People are looking more closely at who they're voting for and why, and there is uh, greater, greater discontent with the current congressman. How important do you think it is for your congressman to live in your district? If my congressman is representing me, 
comes back to the district and talks with me understands the concerns of the district i don't care where the congressman lives but if the congressman has literally divorced himself from the district as as the present congressman uh does then it makes a difference are you connected with the people do you come back and talk to the people because the name of the job is representative to represent the people of the district if you don't know their problems if you don't know what they're thinking if they can't get through to you with uh their problems you could live right smack dab in the heart of the district and still be a poor congressperson President Barack Obama is pushing another $50 billion spending bill, essentially a third stimulus package. Uh, the president and this Congress have borrowed a lot of money for failed gimmicks in hopes that it would bring us out of the recession. What do you believe is the best remedy for getting people back to work? Well, uh, let me talk about uh, the spending first. I used to watch my grandmother put money for the rent in one little white envelope money for the utilities in another little white envelope, money for the food in another little white envelope. And the one thing that I learned from my grandmother is that you, you can't spend your way out of debt. There has to be some saving. There has to be some belt tight, tightening. And certainly when we look at our federal b budget, uh, it's on a much larger scale but those very same principles apply. There's absolutely no way to spend your way out of debt. When I look at the, the debt that we have, and we cannot even pay the interest on our debt, we've got to do something different, and that includes stopping the uh, spending, tightening our belt on um, many of the things that are going on federally, and certainly it's going to be a time when everybody's going to feel a, a pinch on the federal level, but that is one of the things that's going to help us get back to work, those of us who work on Main Street. We're going to have to cut some of these taxes and all of these regulations that are on our, our small businesses so that and loosen up credit for small businesses, which you know are the engine that keep our, our country going. And that and in that way are we going to be able to get people back to work and uh, at the same time reduce this deficit. You focus a lot on the fair tax on your website but the argument can be made that we can't have tax reform without spending reform. How and what should we cut as far as spending goes uh, and also what about entitlements? One of the things that um, I, I always want to be clear about I cannot, in the position that I have now, not being in Congress, we have to take a look at all of the things that are spent and then determine where all of the cutbacks would be. So I'd like to be, be able to tell you line by line, this and this and this and this, um, but I can't at this point. But in Congress, when I'm privy to all of the things that uh, we are spending on, then I can help make a, a better decision on uh, these are the things that need to be cut. These are the things that need to be cut. When I look at entitlements, I know that there are some people who may need temporary help in various parts of their, their life. But such things, for instance, as welfare, what we call welfare, 
I think needs to be looked at as a temporary situation where with giving someone a, a hand up for a certain period of time, we also give them the avenues to stay up on their own, whether it, uh, and it's probably going to be job training and training them for jobs for the 21st century, not for jobs where there's, there's very little uh, market out there for those skills but training them for jobs for the 21st century so that they can exert their own personal responsibility in taking care of themselves and their own families. So there's got to be an end to, to things like welfare that go on and keep people trapped and enslaved. In my medical practice, I've seen people where there's third-generation welfare. It really... It, it takes away the, that spirit to uh, strive for more. It takes away that spirit to succeed, and it virtually makes them a slave to a little bit of check that comes on a monthly basis that only gives them enough to subsist on, and that, I think, is wrong. We should not do that to any human being. What is the Urban Initiative? The Urban Initiative is part of uh, my strategy to show people in all walks of life that the conservative view of looking at things can certainly benefit them. It includes, uh, one, zeroing in on jobs, zeroing in on the economy in the district, making the district a place where uh, larger companies want to come, making the district a place where small businesses are nurtured, having a, an environment where not only with a person with an idea can say, all right, I'm going to take this idea and build it into a business. You and I know it's not that simple, but using resources from the community so that that person, instead of just saying, okay, I'm gonna take my broom and I'm gonna take my vacuum cleaner and I'm gonna start a cleaning business, but they will be helped with the tools. Okay, that's good and well and fine, and this is what you're gonna do, but now let's see the, the plan, and let's help you make that plan. Let's help you project what you're gonna to need to continue uh, this plan. How many places will you need to clean in order to have the money to continue your business and invest in your business? giving people that concrete type of help that will help them take their American dream and make it reality. So jobs uh, is, is the first thing. The second part is financial literacy education. And you and I know that the urban setting is a setting in which many people spend everything they make. They forgot about what their grandparents taught them about saving for a rainy day. And I just want to help people to reinstitute that, saving for a rainy day, not spending more than you have. And of course, in the 21st century and even in the 20th century, we have to learn how to use things like uh, stocks, bonds, those kinds of savings to our benefit so that we can give to our children not just debt or leave them nothing, but we can build wealth, generational wealth that we can that can go from one generation to the next. 
A couple of other points in the urban initiative are education. And we know education has been shown in every study that's uh, been done to lift people out of poverty and into a position to be able to take care of themselves and their, their families. Georgia, as far as education goes, we're still at the bottom of the barrel in terms of quality. As far as uh, graduation from high school goes, we're still at the bottom of the barrel. And I think one of the reasons is that uh, we're still stuck in that 20th century thing of, well, everybody's got to go to college. Well, college isn't for everyone, and not everybody wants to go to college. Right. We have to look at each student, nurture their talents, and nurture their talents so that they can feel good about, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be the best plumber that there ever was. I'm going to go out and I'm going to be the best teacher. Maybe that person does want to go to college and become a teacher. But we've got to get out of the mindset of dummying down education to the lowest common denominator and get back to individualizing education so that each student gets to work up to their potential and in their best talent so that they can become uh, citizens who are not leaning on government in order to uh, live, but who are contributing to their own uh, way of being able to live and take care of themselves and their families. And lastly, especially looking at um, District 13, transportation is another big, big, big issue. Uh, One of the things... If, if you've got a job in, in one part of the district, uh, but you live in another part of the district, if, uh, for some parts of the district, it's almost uh, impossible to get from one place to the other place uh, in any uh, way that makes it uh, feasible for you to work in another part of the district. So I think we need to look at that issue also so that we don't keep people um, away from jobs by keeping them cramped in one area of the district, but allow for the kind of transportation, and I'm talking public transportation, that will let people come out of their communities, go into the areas where there are jobs uh, in order to be able to support themselves. So there's there's four of the, the main points of the urban initiative. Certainly it is an initiative that works to uh, help people in urban communities, but it is also transferable to all communities of District 13. With the recent oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, support for offshore drilling is dropping. Uh, do you support expanded drilling for oil inside the United States and uh, also offshore? Uh, yes, is the, is the short answer to that question. And let me tell you why. Uh, another thing my grandmother taught me and one of her, uh, her sayings was, you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yes, this was a, a terrible uh, situation that happened. Yes, we have a lot of damage that has happened from uh, this oil going, oh, in so many places now. But we can't let one accident keep us from becoming energy independent. One of the, the things, and uh, I dare say, I dare say call it positive, 
things that uh, this oil spill has has brought about is the the American ingenuity in terms of how to deal with oil spills. I've been seeing in the news and seeing on the little bit of television that I uh, I watch all kinds of in oh just wonderful ways to deal with the oil, to deal with uh, reclaiming the oil, to deal with uh, animals that may have been affected uh, by the oil spill. So here we see this ingenuity uh, helping to start small companies that will help us in the future if there is, God forbid, uh, another oil spill. But we can't throw out the baby with the, the bathwater. We can't say, okay, now we can't have any more uh, drilling offshore because of this accident. We've got to learn from the situation. We've got to uh, make it safer. We have to make companies uh, stick with the regulations. And we also have to continue working to become energy independent by working with other uh, areas of uh, and sources of energy that we have. We're not going to become energy independent overnight. We're still going to need oil. We're still going to need coal. We're still going to need natural gas. We need to keep going after those things as we develop the, the other 21st century uh, things that can help us to become energy independent. Well, it's obvious from the president's speech uh, on Wednesday night that he's going to use this bill to push cap-and-trade. Um, and this, this, the cap-and-trade uh, policy is going to have a, a costly effect on American families. So let me ask you, what are your thoughts on, on the cap-and-trade bill and what it means to the di uh, voters and the constituents of the 13th District? Well, to quote um, what the president uh, said as he was referring to another issue, I think um, he is misguided in, in his direction. It's certainly going to be costly tax-wise uh, to not only District 13 residents, but uh, residents all across the United States. I am uh, looking forward to this not being uh, put into effect, or if perhaps it is, future co uh, Congresses and maybe even a future president uh, reversing uh, cap and trade. I call it cap and tax, which is virtually what it is. You're not the only person I've had on the podcast referred to it as cap and tax, but yes. uh, you're, you're right, that's exactly what it is. In, in kind of closing here, let me ask you, what, what sets you apart from the rest of the field in the Republican primary in this, in this race? Well, certainly the fact that people tell me they are so happy that I stood up in a district where no Republican had been running, not even saying, wait a minute. The conservative values of District 13 need to be come forward, and someone needs to stand up for them. People were so happy that I continued to stand up for those conservative values, even in 2008, when it was absolutely known that there was going to be an onslaught of people who were voting uh, for progressive liberalism 
would be coming out. And yet at that time, I got double the number of votes uh, as I previously had. So people have thanked me for standing up for conservative principles, being consistent in doing that so that they know what I uh, believe in, that I'm willing to stand up and fight for those values and principles, even when I'm the only one doing it. That consistency sets me apart. I'm sure the others are are conservatives, uh, kind of jump on the bandwagon conservatives when it's supposed to be a good year for conservatives. But I thank the people that are supporting me for continuing to push me forward saying, we know what you stand for. You're not a Johnny come lately. You're a person who stood up when no one else uh, would, and we're thankful for that. Well, where can we find you on the web? www.honeycutforcongress.com. H-O-N-E-Y-C-U-T-T-F-O-R, congress.com. And are you doing anything on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or anything? I'm on Facebook. Okay. Of course I'm on Twitter. Of course I'm on YouTube. Just look me up and you'll find me there. Excellent. Well, Deborah, thank you very much for uh, talking with me this evening. Uh, this, well, this evening. It is evening. If, yes, uh, it is, Jason. And I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to interface with uh, your viewers and continue to encourage them to come to honeycutforcongress.com. Well, we appreciate your time today and I will will do. Um Thank you very much for listening to the podcast series. Uh, as you know, if you've been reading Peach Bunnett, this the series is ending at the end of this month. We've talked to over 20 candidates for office this year who are running in, for Congress and statewide office. Thank you very much for listening. We have uh, just under two more weeks of these left. So thank you. Thank you, Deborah, and uh, best of luck. All right. Thank you.